Our scripture reading today is from Romans 16, beginning in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Suspeter, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's a little bit bittersweet, but for the last time for a while, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 16. We're going to end this series this morning, and really uh, hard for me to believe that 11 months ago, we began this series as a church way back in January, and just grateful. I mean, I'm grateful to see what God has done in my own life and in your life through the study and just walking through this great book called Romans. So Romans 16 and bring it to a close this morning. We've got some uh, a big truth, a few big ideas for you. And then we're going to end this time with the Lord's table a little bit later. I'll kind of walk you through that as we celebrate the Lord's table or the Lord's supper in just a few minutes. So we began way back, and we uh, learned the reality that the, the book of Romans has been called the greatest letter that has ever been written. Many have said that history reveals that the book of Romans repeatedly changes the world by transforming people and changing lives. The Apostle Paul writes this letter. He wrote this letter from the city of Corinth to a real group of people. We met some of those people, if you will, last week in Romans 16. A real letter to a real church in the real city of Rome. And in this letter, he's declared some vital, foundational, fundamental gospel realities for us. Now, make no bones about it, the centerpiece of the book of Romans is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that Jesus has accomplished through his death, his burial, his resurrection, the indwelling spirit of God within us now, all the implications of the message that declares we are broken, we in our natural state are sinful, we are fallen, we are rebellious, we deserve the full wrath of God, God is perfectly holy, righteous, and just, and God in His grace has made a way, has made a way for those completely undeserving. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus has died for us to make a way for us to be made right with God. 
And Paul has declared that the only way a person can ever be right with God is through the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. He's declared in Romans 3.28, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, apart from your own righteousness, apart from your own background. The only hope is faith, this trust, repenting of our own way, and this complete dependence upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And Paul writes in this letter the implications of that gospel message into our lives as believers. Those who are in Christ, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a living union with Jesus. The very Spirit of God Himself lives within us and has made us a new creation. He's adopted us. He's bought us. He's sealed us. He is sanctifying us. He has made us secure in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there will never be any separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible declares these truths, these foundational gospel realities. Paul writes these to the church at Rome. He delivers this letter. And now he comes to the close. And you kind of scratch your head and say, okay, Paul, how do you close a letter like this? How do you bring this thing to conclusion? And Paul, what is your final charge if you will to the church at Rome and now the church here in East Tennessee what is and you want to close this great letter of the book of Romans and we saw last week Paul closes with dear commendations and affection and just he gushes with love in Romans chapter 16 for these people there in the church at Rome and he's going to conclude this letter with another demonstration of love. But I just want you to know, when you read it, it's not going to seem like the most loving thing. But Paul is deeply loving the church at Rome in the way he concludes this letter. So look with me, verse 17, and it will close the book of Romans. Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you. It's a statement of passion. A statement of great urgency from an apostle to people he dearly loves. It's like a dad to his children, if you will. I'm going to appeal to you about something. Brothers, that you watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Paul says, I want you to watch out. If you circle in your Bible, I want you to circle that word there in verse 17. It's taken from the Greek word, it's skopos. It's the idea of scope. We get the word scope from it, which means I want you to open your eyes. I want you to be alert. I want you to be aware. Something's coming, Paul says. You be ready. One of the takeaways from this is immediately you see that love always warns one another of falsehood, deception, and foolishness. Paul says, I love these people. I have written the divine truth from the very mouth of God and the inspiration of the Spirit. I'm sending this letter, and at the same time, I'm going to warn them about something that I know is going to happen. It always does. He says, there are going to be those, verse 18, for such persons, these 
deceivers, these, those causing division. I want to warn you about those that are going to enter in. It's as if, what's this? Paul is saying, from the moment the letter is received, it was read publicly in those days. The scroll would be received, carried by Phoebe. We saw that last week. They read it publicly to the church at Rome. They, they memorize portions of it. They go into their homes. They, they talk about it. They discuss it. It's like Paul says, from the minute this letter is read publicly in the church, there will be those who begin to distort the truth. Paul says, I want you to be aware. I want you to be ready for those who will come in. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, their own impulses, their own fleshly desires. And by smooth talk, you know any of those smooth talkers? Do they sound really, really compelling? Their message sounds so good. It says, by smooth talk and flattery, watch this, they deceive. In other words, Paul is saying there, there's an intentional intent. There, there's some who, their intention is to deceive. And who do they deceive? The hearts or the minds of the naive or the foolish. Now, this is a pretty strong warning from the Apostle Paul. How do you end the greatest letter that's ever been written containing the greatest truth that's ever been put to pen under the inspiration of the Spirit of God? Paul says, I'm going to warn you. I've laid out under the inspiration of the Spirit of God the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is, and I want you to know, watch out because there will be those who will sneak in, there will be those who attempt to distort and twist the truth of the message of the gospel. Now I'm going to give you one big truth and a few takeaways, big ideas from the text. Here's your big truth this morning, it's this, Jesus' followers are called to diligently discern truth from deception. Wake up. Paul says, wake up. Open your eyes. There are many who will attempt to mislead you and distort the truth that you hold dear. Particularly, Paul's saying this letter I've just written, it's going to be distorted. Just get ready. Now, interesting observation here. What Paul writes in this letter about wake up and the deceivers this charge was written 2,000 years ago, but it is as relevant and as timely, even more timely than the newspaper that you read this morning. Some of you are going, newspaper, what in the world is that? Well, there's this big paper and ink all over it. Okay, your news app this morning, how's that? More relevant than your news app this morning. The point is, the story hasn't changed. The point is, Paul is saying, in a sense, where the truth of God is, there will always be distortion. Paul is saying to these group of people that he loves here dearly, he says, my main concern for you is not who is the Caesar. My main concern for you is not your economic situation. My main concern for you are not the programs of the church there in Rome. My main concern for you is I do not want you to be led astray from the truth of the mouth of God into falsehood and deception because the consequences are disastrous for you. Here's a burden from the Apostle Paul for these people he loves dearly. Throughout history, where there is divine truth, where God has spoken, there will always be a twisting of what God has said. It might be called enlightenment. It might be called progress. 
It might be called tolerance. It might even be called love. But watch out. Paul says, be aware. Now, this is true throughout history. I'll just give you a little background really quick. You go all the way back to Genesis. You don't have to turn there, but God speaks to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. He says, look, you've got the garden, you've got these, everything in the garden is good for you to eat, but there's this one tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil, you don't eat from that. Genesis 3.1, the serpent makes an appearance, the first word we hear from the mouth of the deceiver, the serpent, the devil himself, Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? First tactic of the enemy was to bring into question the authority and the clarity of what God has said. And let me just say to you, the game hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. Jeremiah in the Old Testament speaking for God says, And the Lord God said to me, Jeremiah 14, 14, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak or, or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. The game hasn't changed. Jesus says, Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets, Jesus says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. This stuff was written 2,000 years ago. Watch, before the internet, before the blogosphere, before the endless amount of books, before the TV preachers, and the same truth remains today. God's people are called to discern the difference between truth and deception. And when we don't, disaster results in our lives and the lives of other people. Paul lovingly calls these people to know deceivers will begin to sneak in. The deceivers will come in and they'll begin to subtly twist. And he says, he answers a few questions for us. And I want to try to answer these questions. I have three of them. Okay, Paul, so first, how do we identify or how does the Bible describe these deceivers and deception? So verse 17, go back there really quick. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. One of the hallmarks of these deceivers are the attempt to divide. Now, truth in and of itself can often divide. Jesus said, I bring a sword. Truth can divide. We know that. But here the attempt seems to be to divide by twisting Scripture and to separate people from the body of Christ. It is, it's the same attempt of the enemy. The enemy always tries to divide. It's, the, it's his tactic in relationships. That's his tactic in marriage. If we can break down the communication, if we can begin to cause these divisions where they're not together, if we can separate them ever so subtly, and it's as if the enemy works to divide or separate believers from other believers. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, sin demands to have a man by himself. Let me just give you a real practical warning on this. I want you to be very careful with anyone that you listen to, any book that you read that does not have a high view of the local church. Because the result will be, if I can pull 
if I can pull God's people away from the body of Christ, it's like an ember in a fire. That fire roars and that ember is healthy and it's a flame. If I can get that ember out by itself, it will soon be snuffed out. That's the way it works. He says, if I can divide believers from believers by twisting the truth ever so subtle. It's one of his tactics. It's what these teachers, false teachers do. He says, secondly, they create obstacles contrary to doctrine. In other words, it's not only what they say, an obstacle is what they do. So deception, listen to this, deception can come in word, what spews from people's mouth, and what they do. They live out something contrary to the gospel. Oh, I believe the Bible, I follow Jesus, but my life doesn't line up with it at all. There could be deception there. They hinder growth. There's this ungodly lifestyle and practice. The result of this false teaching is never godliness. Let me give you another just really quick application. If you're reading someone, you're listening to a teacher, someone comes into your life group, whatever it is, and the result of their teaching does anything but steer you toward holiness and steer you toward Christ-likeness, it's probably not of God. Give me an example. Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Jude writes, and he says this, a very short letter. He says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. Jude said, I want to write and talk about the gospel. And he said, but I was compelled to write to you about something else. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That's a reference to the body of truth that we now have called the scriptures. This body of faith to contend, to fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. You have received the deposit of divine truth in God's word. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in. Isn't that just a hideous metaphor there? They've crept in. Unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our one and only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they pervert grace to be a means for ungodliness and sin. In other words, man, it's all about grace, and grace gets distorted. Titus 2 says grace instructs us to pursue godliness and righteousness. Be careful if you listen to any distortion of grace or any distortion of the gospel that leads you to not hunger for Christ's likeness. Probably not of God. So Paul says they create these obstacles. They cause divisions. And then he says they distort scripture. They, they teach or they hold out what is contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. Why do you have to say that, Paul? Because they're saying they serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Make, make no doubt about it. These are not people who are unbelievers. Paul's not talking about unbelievers who say they're unbelievers. He's not talking about, he's talking about unbelievers who say they're Christians. He's not, listen, this is, this is important. He's not talking about people who struggle and wrestle with truth. That's not who he's talking about. He's not talking about people who have honest questions about some of these core doctrines. We all do. That's not the point here. His point is those who are fakes and shams and creep in subtly with an intention to subtly distort and divide and create obstacles in your path. Does it teach what's contrary? They don't serve the Lord Christ, but they serve their own tap appetites, meaning selfishness. By the way, that's why 
false teaching and false doctrine and immorality are always connected. Always. They're serving their own sin, their own selfishness. And listen, at the end he says, who do they target? Who's the target of the smooth talk and flattery? Who's in the crosshairs of these guys, if you will? They deceive the hearts of the naive. That's a pretty scary verse. The word naive means those who are unstable. It's the idea of the unsuspecting. Uh, There's a similar word that's used in the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom. They are an open door. Meaning there's no discernment to to determine, is that of God? Does that align with Scripture? Does that promote godliness? Does that help me pursue the body of Christ or pull me away from the body of Christ? They have no depth. They're like a boat floating around on the ocean, susceptible to every wind of teaching that comes down the pike. They're susceptible, Paul says. Be aware. So here's your big idea. I got, I got just three of them. Try to summarize some of this stuff for you quickly. Big idea number one is this. Deceivers, while professing Christ, lead others astray by selfishly twisting the clear truth of Scripture. And by the way, they do it in word, and they do it in deed. And Paul says, I love you, church at Rome. I love you, church at Tri-Cities. Beware. Be on the alert. Everything you hear is not in line with this book. Everything that we are inundated in this culture in 2019 of the information age is not in line with Scripture. And it's not, well, you know, they just don't align with my doctrinal position. When you begin to hold to something that's contrary to Scripture on one of these core doctrines, the result is going to be disaster in your own life. Paul refers to it in 1 Timothy. He says it's shipwreck of your faith. He's very concerned here is Paul. How how does the Bible describe these guys? We just saw that. Question number two. I think this will help us. Okay, Paul, how do we respond to these kind of deceivers? How do we respond to those who are aiming to deceive and lead us astray? Verse 17, he goes basically, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, that create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. What do we do, Paul? Avoid them. Paul, that's a little fuzzy. Could you be more clear? Avoid them. Circle that word. Mark that word. The word avoid means to turn away. The word avoid literally here means to give no place. In other words, in your own life, whether it's through the blogosphere, whether it's through the internet means, whether it's through a book, whether it's somebody coming into your life group, Give no place to that which is intentionally deceiving and distorting the true, worth of, the true word of God. See that? Avoid. Now, Titus helps us with this. Paul writes to, the, to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, and he says this. He helps us a little more. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. And again, this is not somebody who's just a little confused. Somebody needs some help. This is somebody who's intentionally trying to cause division and holding to something that's different from what the Bible says. Paul says, warn them once, warn them twice, and then be done with them. Pretty clear. Then he says even more in Titus chapter 1, he says, There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, the Jewish party. He says, verse 11, they must be silenced. He takes it even a step further. 
since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. Here is families who are upset in the church that Paul's writing to with Titus and says, because they allowed deception to creep in, because they did not push it back, because they gave place to it, now their entire family is in turmoil. Listen, the consequence of not being discerning of truth is devastating in our lives. You understand that? Paul's saying, be aware. So big idea number two is this. Very practical deceivers must be avoided, warned, and silenced. Where somebody continues to deceive and they continue to cause division within the local body like this, they've got to be warned, they've got to be avoid, give no place, and at times going to be silenced. Because you have no place here. You can't continue to come in and do this. Say, Pastor Mike, has that ever happened at our church? Yeah. Has there ever been times, it, normally things like that get taken care of because godly men and women speak truth and these lies don't land. Often this truth does settle. Often these folks might continue to even get a following. And what happens at that point? Have the elders ever had to step in in situations like that? Yeah. Man, you get a call from Pastor Gene or Pastor Larry. They're coming to your house. We're going to have a talk. And the point is, God's entrusted shepherds of this church to be guardians of this place, and we care for your souls. And if someone wants to just freely go through and cause division and spew truth intentionally, Titus says they need to be silenced out of love. So Christians are to be discerning between truth and error. Paul says, you have been given the truth from the very mouth of God, but there will be those from the beginning who their intention is to distort and twist and lead you astray. See that? Now, third point, we'll be done. All right, Paul, so what do we do then to guard ourselves against this? I mean, this is the, the, the air that we're breathing even today, and the deceptions are so many. What do we do today uh, uh, to guard against this? Verse 19, for your obedience, he says, to the church at Rome is known to all. Man, this is a mature church. Looked at that a few weeks ago. He says, so that I rejoice over you. God is doing great things in the church at Rome. He says, but I want you to be wise. I want you to have a degree of wisdom and discernment and be able to determine, is this in line with God's word or isn't it? Does this propel godliness and Christ-likeness or doesn't it? Does this pull me away from the people of God or push me into pursuing community and fellowship or does it leave me on my own by myself? Paul says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Big idea number three is this. Deceivers are recognized by those who know the truth. That is why as a church, it's just like a, a field where you're trying to grow grass. Grass grows healthy. This is an East Tennessee illustration, right? Grass grows healthy when that grass is fertilized. It's given all the nutrients it needs. You don't have to worry about weeds cropping up when the grass is healthy. In a church where the Word of God is taught, in a church where the Word of God is seen as the authority and as priority, and in a church, watch this, when brothers and sisters admonish one another when we see one another going astray or holding on to something that's not true, man, it's like constant weeding goes on. 
And in a church where we say we are going to be people of the book, listen, that's why we preach through books like Romans. It is. That's why we have something called study groups where you and I and those in our church have the opportunity to continually pursue the truths of God's word, to have this depth of soul in our lives. That's why next year, I mean, I've loved Romans, but I can't wait till next year. We're going to have something called the Bible series. We're going to start with Genesis. We're going to do an overview of the whole Bible, and the whole church family is going to be challenged to read the entire Bible in one year together. I can't wait for depth of soul and wisdom, Paul says, to be able to say, wait a minute, I hear what you're saying. That sounds really good. You look really pretty, but that's just not true. And you may call what you're doing love, and you may say it's tolerance, but I, I got to say, man, that is just contrary to what the Bible teaches. You got to be able to say that in wisdom and understand that in wisdom. Paul says we as Christ's followers are called to discern truth from error. Deceivers are recognized by those who know the truth. You know how those that are trained to spot fake money, you've probably heard this illustration before, somebody that's trained to spot counterfeit bills, they don't spend a lot of time looking at the counterfeits. Man, they know the genuine article. So that when the true bill comes through, they know it so well that the moment a fake bill, a $100 bill or whatever it is, even enters their hand, they know it by feel, they know it by sight, they know it by smell. They know the genuine article so much that you can't pass anything past them that's fake. May we be people of the Word of God that will be able to know and sniff out falsehood the minute it enters them. Amen. So Paul dearly loves these people and he concludes this letter and he brings it to a close. And he says in verse 20, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Why does he say that? Because he wants them to know, listen, you there in the church who are battling for truth, you who are trying to fight against deception and this battle that never ends, Paul says there's a day it's going to end. (laughs) And the one who is behind all deception, Satan himself, he will be crushed under his feet. He will be defeated permanently and forever one day so that's good news then he enters in he verse says verse 21 he he sends some more greetings from those that's with him in the church here in Corinth remember he's in Corinth riding to Rome he says Timothy my fellow worker greets you that's Timothy of first and second Timothy that's the Timothy that Paul's poured his life into man that's Paul's beloved son in the faith that's there with Paul in Corinth he says so to Lucius and Jason and Sosipater if you're in East Tennessee, you say Sasa Pater. It rhymes with tater. Is that it? But that'll help you say it. It says, my kinsmen, my brothers in the church at Corinth. In other words, I'm not fighting this battle by myself, Paul says. I got some brothers fighting this thing with me, and they're sending you their greetings. It says, verse 22, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Time out. That's giving some people some trouble. I thought this whole time Paul wrote the letter of Romans. No, Paul wrote it all. It's from the mouth of God through Paul. Tertius is his secretary. That's all that is. Tertius penned it. Paul spoke it. That's the point. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer. The phrase here is city treasurer. It's really the guy who ran the whole city of Corinth. Evidently, history tells us this man was of great prominence in the city of Corinth. We know there is a slab of payment, uh, pavement. I know this from Cindy Gregory. She said it to me this week. There's a slab of payment in Corinth inscribed with the name Erastus. 
and giving him honor for the way he ran the city. Paul says, he's my brother in the Lord. A man of great influence there in the city of Corinth. And our brother Quartus, we greet you. And then Paul ends this great letter, just three verses, and we'll conclude this way, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, basically with a summary of this gospel message he's been declaring. It's as if he says, okay, I, I'm going to end this thing in a prayer, Paul seems to say. I'm going to end this thing in worship to our great God and just follow along and we'll conclude. Verse 25, he says, now to him, that's prayer language. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, establish you, build you up according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul says, the gospel is how we come to know God. And by the way, the implications and the truth of the gospel, that's how we're strengthened and how we grow. Who Christ is, what Christ has done, all the implications at work is how we're strengthened. The word strengthen is a, is a reference to the power of God in our lives through the gospel. It's used by Paul that we are firm in our faith to resist error. He uses it other places to say we are firm in our holiness to resist temptation. And we stand firm in our courage to resist persecution that's coming. All of that as we press out and learn and deepen our understanding of the message of the gospel. As Paul's done here. He goes on, he says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. This gospel is to be declared to all the nations. God promised redemption. He's now delivered it in Christ. Ours is to believe, obey, and to proclaim this gospel to the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory. Ultimately, God is glorified by the message of the gospel forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. He declares what the gospel is, what it does, and what's this, and what our response to it is to be. He says the response is to be faith, the obedience of faith, that faith, that moment we come to know Christ, that faith of repentance and trusting him as our savior, and that ongoing journey of faith, of believing and trusting and growing who Christ is and all Christ has done is to obey to this message of the gospel and to declare it to the nations of the world. To God be the glory forevermore. Amen. So at this time, here's what I want us to do. We're going to respond to this message this morning. I'm going to ask the team to come on up and join me. They're going to begin to play. And we're going to, we're going to do something that Jesus commanded us to do. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning as a church family. Now remember, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus in his great wisdom gave us the Lord's Supper so we'll never strike stray away from the gospel. This gospel that Paul writes about, this person of Christ, the finished work of Christ, is pictured, is symbolized when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, knowing he's going to the cross the next day to take on the sins of the world, said to his disciples, guys, this Passover meal that's been separated all these thousands of years, tonight this Passover meal is coming to fulfillment. The lamb is here. And now you're going to take this meal and for generations to come, until I return, you're going to have this Lord's Supper meal. You're going to take bread, you're going to break it. And that bread is so that you will remember 
remember the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to take this cup, juice, fruit of the vine. Take this cup, you're going to drink it so that you will call to mind and remember the blood of the Lord Jesus. Watch, that's completely sufficient to wash away all our sins. Completely sufficient. You just celebrate that. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. I'll invite you down. We have different stations where you can come and get the bread and juice. But let me just say this. If you're here and you're not a member of Tri-Cities, but you're a follower of Christ, we welcome you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. Parents, if, you, if you're here and you have children and they are followers, they know the Lord Jesus, welcome to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But parents, if you have children that are not yet believers, they've not repented and placed faith in Christ and Christ alone, the Lord's Supper is not for them. It's a teaching opportunity for you to explain to them the difference and what it means to know Christ. If you're here this morning, let me just say this, and we'll prepare for the Lord's Supper, but if you're here and you, you don't know what it means to be a follower of Christ, or maybe you're here and through the teaching of the book of Romans, or maybe even this morning or over the last few weeks or months, there's been this awareness in your heart of the, the righteousness of who God is, and you realize, I am not that. There's this separation between this holy God and me. I'm sinful. What do I do? This morning, here's the message to you. Jesus Christ has died so that you can have a relationship with God. He has taken your sin upon himself. He has bore all the wrath of God. And he says, repent of your own way. Place faith in me and me alone and know eternal life. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you this morning. I invite you not to take the Lord's Supper. Just remain there in your seat. And then when we dismiss in just a few moments, we have some people that would love to have a conversation with you. So the rest of us just want you to bow your head there for a minute. Scripture calls us before we take the Lord's Supper to just have a few moments of personal examination. Spend a few moments there in personal worship before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11 says that we're to examine our hearts. And Lord, is there anything between you and me that I need to confess and make right this morning? There's an area of repentance that I need to pursue this morning or confession or a step of obedience, Lord, that I've just been avoiding. Is there a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ that there's strife and enmity there? And I've not done anything to pursue that brother. You make that right. So in just a moment, when you're ready, I'll invite you to come down. Again, we have six different stations, two on the side, 40 on front. We have uh, gluten-free for some of you, as you've asked for that this morning. You can take the bread, take the juice, return back to your seat. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray now, Lord, that we remember, call to mind, and see the vivid picture that you've given us of the gospel. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.